Uh, can I tell you something appropriately gay before we start? Oh my God, totally. I mean, it, is that different than any other time we start recording? <laughs> I got avocado mango eye scrub in my eye in the shower and it still hurts. It still hurts. <laughs> That's just the gay bell. It's neither hero nor garbage. It's just gay. It's just so gay. Also, where can I buy it? <laughs> Julian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Banana. You guys, before we get to the show, come see us live, June 29th, Pride Show. I know you've heard me talk about it at nauseum. Uh, listen, we've locked down our three drag queen greeters. Mm-hmm. They're going to be up and down the aisles, hanging out with you guys, taking pictures. They are, one of them is called Lady Synagoga. Of course she is. <laughs> she's like fabulous. Because she knows what the hell she's doing. I know. She's like this amazing Jewish drag queen. I'm right. I can't wait. We locked down our comedian who's opening for us. Oh, I know. Her name is Bridget McManus. She's coming in from LA for the occasion. Come on. You guys, we are having drag queens. We're having an opening act. It's going to be the most amazing show. Also, come on my Pride Tours the morning of the show. Any ticket holder is invited to come on my tour. It's a walking tour of the West Village. I'm going to take you to Stonewall. I'm going to take you to all the places that I love, tell you like what cool things happen there. We're going to get to spend an hour together. And you'll be using a megaphone or something so that yes. you don't blow your voice yes. before our shows. Yes? Yeah, okay. but we're going to get quality time in the morning before the show. I'm all for that. Yes. But I need you for the show. I Girl, same. Same, same, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, you guys, Patreon, listen, we were almost done with Lorena. Oh. I think Lorena is some of our funniest, like, most angry work we've ever done. I agree. <laughs> it is, yeah, I, I just remember the anger, uh-huh. so if people think it's funny, great. Exactly. Also, at the $5 level, you guys, you get access to all of our bonus episodes, all of our staircase, all of our cereal, all of our Making a Murderer, mm-hmm. all of our... The Jinx? The Jinx! Did all of our Jinx? All of our Jinx. All of our that one time we did Madonna's Truth or Dare, <laughs> yeah. and all of our that one time we did Queen of Versailles. And then at the $10 level, you guys, you get all of that plus ad-free versions of these episodes. Uh-huh. So the Patreon's off the hizzy, as oh, they say. Okay. Uh, and there's a $20 level. Yeah, there's also a $20 level where, like, you guys, you get a, a monthly bonus surprise. This month we're mailing out stickers. Yeah, we just, like, send you fun things. Sometimes we do, like, AMAs where you can send us stuff, and then yep. we record some answers. I don't know. It's just fun. It's it is fun. Re- it's really fun. It's intimate fun, but not in that kind of way. <laughs> it's just intimate fun in a wholesome way. We love you. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this documentary with you. You mean the Upstairs Inferno? Upstairs Inferno. Girl, look, we're going to be in New Orleans where this takes place in like a week and a half for CrimeCon. I'm going to the intersection where this happened. We're going to have a drink in the bar downstairs. Of course. We're going to like pay our tribute to the Upstairs Lounge. Yes. This was was crazy. Like for anybody who doesn't know, the the fire at the Upstairs Lounge until the Pulse nightclub shooting was the largest mass murder uh, of LGBT people in history. Yeah, it was in 1973, I believe. It was horrible. Yeah. So I think the story needs to be told. I think it's so important. On a zillion levels. Yes. Is it my favorite documentary we've ever watched? <laughs> Not exactly. But I still want everyone in, in my life and the world to see it. Yeah, same. Does that make sense? Totally. Cool. The upstairs was my safe haven. It was the one I, I loved most of all. It's the usual beer boss. Everybody's laughing and cutting up and talking, you know, and dancing. All of a sudden you heard people screaming, from laughter to screaming. For years, it was the worst mass murder of gay and lesbians in American history. I could see the glow of the flames and all of a sudden the fire just ripped across the upstairs lounge. Bodies burned so bad that there was nothing left but the bones and they were seared to the floor. I saw the the reverence 
body hanging halfway out the window. I knew him. I never got to grieve. On the street after the fire, it was like just chaos. The smell of a burning building, the smell of burning flesh. And I just kept looking through the crowd, hoping to see Reggie and, and Adam. Everybody was trying to find out who had made it out, who had perished. I didn't just lose my lover, I lost 32 of my best friends, too. We were damaged emotionally. I'd try to sleep at night, I'd wake up with nightmares, I'd see those people burning. I kept expecting him to come through the door. I'd get up and fix breakfast and put, lay his clothes out for work and everything like he was going to get up and go to work. Like I ever felt loneliness in my life until that point. New Orleans has robbed me of my innocence, my childhood. And I'd, I'd tell God, i said, well, thank you. You saved my life. Thank you for not letting me burn up. And I'd say, but next time, just let me die. It shows what can happen through hate. Somebody was angry and full of hate, and they took it out on everybody in there. Girl, just one quick thing. Uh-huh. The fact that it's called Upstairs Inferno does make it sound a little bit like it's going to be like a 70s rock musical. Disco Inferno. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like Disco Inferno. It really does. We know right away that it's not because it opens with some truly horrifying and very, very graphic photographs. It opens with a content warning. And it's like this music is really somber. And I'm like, oh, God, we are in for it. Yeah. And then it's like, ba-na-na-na-na-ba-na. It's like, cue the Dixieland. It's I know. Like, and, and there's this narrator that's like, welcome to Nolan. 604 Iberville. Located at the intersection of Charters and Iberville streets, a couple blocks away from the famed Canal Street in New Orleans, Louisiana. With records dating back to the mid-1800s, this three-story building has had a rich history. It once housed a cotton mill and has been the home to countless cocktail lounges. Do you know who that is? It's Christopher Rice. Yeah, and Rice's son. I know. Okay, I didn't know because I looked, I was like, who is this? And it's Christopher Rice. Yeah. And Rice's son. He's a total homo. He's super cute. <laughs> He's six four. My ex-boyfriend dated him. <laughs> You guys, I'm I just still like, getting over the laryngitis. He's like, would you just say he's a super homo? Yeah, like as in as in he's really tall and good at it. Oh, I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Christopher Rice, call me. The thing about it, it's like it was for sure his first like voiceover gig or something. Because he cheated. He someone was like, girl, can, we, can you bring it down a little bit? It's a really serious thing that we're doing. Right. Because the first right. thing it was like, it's Nolans. I'm just going to say that a hundred times. It was the town of jazz and Kate and crawfish or whatever. And then the next the next voiceover, I was like, the most horrible thing. And, it's, and it is horrible. Know, it is. But it it's is. like, there's, it's like, is that a different voiceover guy? No, I, it's still Chris Rice. But so we learn about this guy, Phil Esteves. And he, you know, after high school, he tried to do the seminary. That uh-huh. didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Then he went to the Navy. That didn't work and out. <laughs> I love that Queen's like, clearly that didn't work out. And I'm like, but I thought they loved the gays in the Navy. And certain In the Navy. Like, exactly. Like, is that, did that song lie to me all this time? But then, then we learn that like when, when neither one of those things worked out for him, he decided he was either going to open a gay bar or a gift shop. And Which I just, is the same thing, really. I, you beat me to it. I was like, they're both equally as gay. And he asked a friend, 
Well, I'm torn between opening a gay bar or opening a gift shop. And his friend said, well, if I only had a dollar, I would buy a beer before I would buy a knickknack. More than I'd buy a knickknack. Right. And I'm like, these are my people. These, they're so gay. They love antiques. <laughs> knickknacks. Oh, I love that. So, spoiler, he opened a gay bar. Right, because his friend was like, girl, open the bar. Right. <laughs> the Upstairs Lounge opened on Halloween of 1970. It's a very much a party atmosphere. They just had fun. So they're showing us the bar, and there's like the bar was on the second floor of this building, right? Mm-hmm. So we see this staircase, and we learn uh, they were trying to make it fun and sort of like campy, and they put this carpet on the staircase, yeah. and all this wallpaper, and they put up this wood paneling. They're just they're trying to make it nice, right? This is crazy foreshadowing. And then we learn that the bar had three different sections, right? One was like. A bar uh-huh. with bar stools and whatever. And then the second section had like tables and chairs and a dance floor. Right. And then the third section was a whole different world because it had a small theater. <laughs> yeah. I should mention here, you guys, there's a musical about the upstairs lounge. It's called The View Upstairs. It's by Max Vernon. It ran off Broadway for a really long time. It's really, really good. The music is amazing. It's going to be the palate cleanser. I today. know it is. I mean, obviously. Obviously. But check out the cast album because it's, it's incredible. But also, in addition to like the wood paneling. Yeah. And the carpets. Right. You guys, they had beefcake posters. Not my words. <laughs> there were also uh, some some beefcake posters that were very famous in the 1970s. You know, Burt Reynolds lying on his bearskin rug and Mark Spitz in that itty-bitty swimsuit with seven gold medals. In that itty-bitty swimsuit. And I'm like, I know. It's in your head, isn't it? You see it now. Itty-bitty swimsuit, it's she true. says. <laughs> So the thing about the upstairs lounge, and so many gay bars were like this. Come to the Pride Show, you'll learn all about this. Mm-hmm. They weren't cruisy, they weren't hustler bars, they weren't hookup bars. Like all of that stuff happened, but that's not what they were for. It was more like a social club, you might say, than than a bar. Mostly, it was just a, a, a gathering place of of friends. This was a time when it was like almost impossible for like two men to get a lease together. You couldn't get a house. You couldn't get an apartment. Most hotels wouldn't rent rooms to two men that weren't like oh. obviously on a business trip together. So the gay bars were like they were community centers. Right. It was places where you could like go and meet other gay people and have like hang out and get drinks and like sing your Judy Garland around the piano. Right. And also allies. Like there were women there. There are stories about yes. like guys would go there like with their moms. I know. And lesbians would go like every everyone was welcome. It was like a social club. Yeah. We meet this woman. Regina Adams. Now, I'm obsessed. I'm a little. She is she trans? Is she? I'm a little bit confused about who Regina Adams is. So I gave her a goog okay. because I could see the moment I laid eyes on her, I was like, I need to know more information. So yeah. she, her, her name is Regina Adams. Her first lover, she says, is Reginald Adams. This gorgeous black guy. They show a picture of him, and she was like, he's the first black guy I ever knew. Because remember, it's Louisiana in the 70s, and there was only a few bars that didn't care that would let blacks and whites in. The upstairs was one of them. I was sitting at the bar, and he offered to buy me a drink. And the bartender came over. It was Buddy Rasmussen, who was also the bar manager. He asked me, you know, if you want to meet this guy, he wants to send you a drink. And I said, sure. It was love at first sight. And the more I got to know him, the more I loved him. Spoiler, I'm so sorry, I'm not saying that callously, Reginald Adams did not survive the fire. He's one of the casualties. Right. Yeah, and she took his name at, to honor him okay. because she tells this beautiful story about how like, she looked across the room and like they were in love. Yeah. And they moved in together and they, they had this conversation about like, well, they're not our real friends if they can't accept not only that we're, you know, not cishet and we're, we're interracial and whatever and they were just kind of like, it was the two of them against the world and I'm obsessed with them. And what's, we'll get to it in a minute, what's tragic about about their story. It's a crazy story. Yeah. 
So remember that back room that you were talking about? There's like a room where the they theater. Would, yeah, the, the theater. The theater. They would do shows back there. Well, <laughs> dramatic performances would take place. They were called. They were written as melodramas, um, but uh, most of the casting was cross-gender. Um, men were playing the women's roles. Sometimes women would play men's roles. Uh, and instead of being called ne- melodramas, they were nicknamed Nelly dramas. Nelly dramas? Right. One of them is called Egad a Cad. <laughs> Which I love. I don't even know. It's my favorite show now. The best part is that we meet this one queen who's like a survivor. His name is Ricky Everett. He was like this little blonde twink, and he was talking about how all he wanted to do was play the villain. Right. And the owner was like, no, girl. He's like, I, I always played the part of Nelly. Right. I was usually cast as little Nelly. <laughs> Hated that. I wanted to be the villain at one time, and Betty said, you are not villain character. You know. I said, okay, so I'm a little Nelly character. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I was always little Nell. <laughs> so then we find out, like, of course, there's a baby grand piano. So it's the centerpiece of the bar. It's also a centerpiece of that of the musical The View Upstairs. Again, the music to this show is incredible. Go listen to it. And then we just learned that on Sunday nights, they would do what they're calling a beer bust, which I'm assuming is when all the queens just, like, gather around a keg and get hammered. Yeah, and then, like, have a sing-along. And then right. at the end of the sing-along would, and look, I'm no stranger. <laughs> a good old-fashioned piano party. At the end of the beer bus, everybody would hold hands and get in a circle and sing United We Stand, Divided We Fall. There was just a song that everybody was singing by the Brotherhood and a man, you know, and they'd play the piano and we'd be singing to it and just kind of holding arms together and we would kind of sway. It was... I guess it was kind of spiritual in a way, you know, in the sense that we were united together in a a brother-sisterhood bond. So now we learn about the Metropolitan Community Church, right? It was founded in Los Angeles by a guy named Troy Perry in uh, 1968. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like a Christian church serving the LGBT community. So this one guy, David Solomon, founds the chapter in New Orleans. And we're told that God commanded him to the theater in the back of the gay bar in the French Quarter. God save Right. God has commanded me to every theater and every bar I've ever been to. I know, especially if there are a bunch of gays around a piano. <laughs> Baby Grand, in like a dark room, in like the the room you have to like travel through other rooms to totally. get to. That's my, I want the secret piano party. I'm more obsessed with the idea of God waking up in the middle of the night and be like, David Solomon, bar, French Quarter, piano, God, yeah. I command you. Chop, chop, sweetheart, you're late. Last call is in 15 minutes. So the bar is like, yes, girl. And they, they give them the back theater room every Sunday night for free. Right. So the local gays can come and drink and hang out and worship their Christian Jesus. And put on a good old-fashioned show. It's true. But so they tell us sort of like the schedule of events on Sundays at the at the bar ch- slash church. Now, being there at the upstairs lounge in that third room and the social hour that followed afterward and then the beer bus that followed after that, uh, was conducive to meeting other people and feeling, you know, very safe in that environment. And I was like, okay, so wait, it was, they go to church, which is then followed by social hour, mm-hmm. which is then followed by the beer bust. No, they're just drinking all the time. <laughs> and that's fine. And I'm not saying that with any shade because we meet so many people who are just like, look, the MCC, they were my surrogate family. Like, I, I wasn't comfortable at home. I wasn't yeah. comfortable at work. And even like walking, you know, going like food shopping or whatever, like many of these people here are, are, are saying to us in this heartbreaking way, like, they never 
never felt comfortable other than right. when they were in that that back room at the upstairs lounge. And you know, some of them are were really like, listen, I was raised by a gay, very religious person, mm-hmm. and I think some of these people were as well. Right. So I think that like the the church was legit, and like they're they're only in the bar for a short time. They they eventually like move into an Episcopal church space, and then they get their own space. Right. But I want to mention that the, the minister is this guy named Bill Larson, and just remember that name. Bill Larson is sort of like the head minister of this MCC church in New Orleans. So then suddenly we take a hard left. Yeah, we're here, you guys. Like, it's the day It's the day that it happens. So they're, like, describing how amazing everything was, and then they're like, everything was amazing, and then it wasn't, because on Sunday, June 24th, 1973, in the middle of a usual beer bus piano party, yeah. like, cross-gender show, right. <laughs> something fucking horrible happens. So the, one of the things they describe, and I think I knew this, but I just forgot about it, was that, like, Leading up to the fire, the buzzer was buzzing constantly. There was a buzzer at the bottom of the stairs. Cab drivers or delivery drivers would buzz when they needed to alert people upstairs that that they were there. Um, The buzzer kept going off, whether it was somebody down on the street trying to warn them or if it was a short on the wire. No one really knows what happened. Was the buzzer kept going off? Remember, they're on the second floor. So the bar owner says to this guy Luther, who's like sitting at the at the bar, like Luther, girl, oh, go see what that is. Can someone shut that thing up down there? Because it was a, it was, that's how much it was like. Uh, like, uh, oh, like uh, yeah, and think about it. It's three rooms of partying right. and like either a show is going on or people are just like not a care in the world. But it's like, what is that thing happening? Yeah. And it it did yeah, it got the attention. Unfortunately, right. So Luther l- opens the door and all. All of a sudden, he's like blown back by this fire. It says the fire busted into the bar. Yeah. Ugh. All of a sudden, you heard people screaming from laughter to screaming. I could see the glow of the flames, and all of a sudden, the flames, just that curtain that was hanging at the top, it just kind of like shot straight across that. And oddly enough, the, it was the indoor-outdoor carpeting, and... Um, the fire actually lifted that carpeting up. It was like floating up with the, I think the flames were just going under it. The flames were just swirling. So it's all around me in the air and fire just ripped across the upstairs lounge. Within minutes, this bar is completely engulfed in flames. And remember, yeah. every single thing was flammable. The carpet on the stairs, all of the decorations on yeah. in the hallway, all of the decorations in the bar, the, the curtains in the bar, every single thing, in addition to whatever accelerant, the bar is going up in flames. The temperature of the of the fire is extremely hot. Yeah, I want to say it wasn't up to code, but there was no code. Right, there was no code. Which is the Literally. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we learned, like, not only was everything super flammable, like, when they finally... There was like wood paneling on the windows. Yeah. And then when they finally rip it off, it's like, oh shit, now there are metal bars. Like it was almost like everything was working against them. Panic stricken patrons ran to the remaining windows, ripped open the wooden shutters, and kicked out the glass, only to find their escape blocked by horizontal metal bars. Since the windows spanned nearly floor to ceiling, Metal rods had been installed across each window as a safety precaution by previous tenants. They were installed to prevent people from falling through openings when the windows were raised. Ironically, a feature that was designed to keep people safe wound up killing them. Twenty-three bodies were found next to the windows, stacked on top of each other. 
The thing about it too was that it seemed to everybody in the bar that the only way in and out was that staircase. And that staircase, right. you can't, you can't, it's, it's completely engulfed in flames. The bar owner knew that there was another door in the back theater yeah. room, but it wasn't obvious to patrons. It was blocked by the stage. It was blocked by the stage. It was blocked by the curtain. And this is way before the day when you had to have exit signs pointing to all the exits. Right. So he leads like 12 people out. Um, then there's another couple, th- these two people who get sort of like pushed onto the fire escape. One of them is on fire. It has to be put out by the other one. <sighs> but they at least get up to the roof. And then basically everybody else who is in the bar just perishes. With a total of 13 engine companies and four ladder companies, the fire was brought under control within 15 minutes of the initial alarm. And despite their rescue efforts... The arsonist had ultimately caused the deadliest fire in New Orleans history. As I was watching it, I I was so horrified and just was saying any kind of prayer or spiritual thing, just like saying to these, you know, just trying to put anything out there of like, oh my God, like your story's being told. You know, know, it's so, so horrible. And I I, I really, it's unimaginable. It truly is. But this is where we get, remember Regina, the woman who met Reginald? Uh Uh-huh. This is where we get her story that she had left for 10 minutes to go get the checkbook. We were going to take Adam and Buddy to dinner. And then Reggie said, "Uh, how much cash do you have on you? And I said, well, I don't have much cash, but I can run home and get the checkbook. And he said, uh, I'll go get it. I said, no, you just ordered a fresh drink. I'm there, and I'll get a drink when I get back. So I ran out the door to go get the checkbook. Couldn't have taken more than 10 minutes. And here the place was was on fire. And we also learned that, like, Regina didn't know for days and days what happened. Right. She's checking the hospital. She's checking everything. Ugh, the 70s. Fuck the 70s. I know, I know, I know. Nobody knew anything about anything back I know. then, honestly. And then we find out, oh my God, I just love these people. They, Regina is told by the cops that, like, look, anybody who was sitting by the piano, they didn't make it. She doesn't say this, but she's like, my Reginald, the good queen that he was, was definitely sitting right by the piano. Aww. You know, when you see the piano, the piano is charred to pieces. Yeah. But it takes her days to find out what happened. Right. Fuck the 70s. I'm saying it. Put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Fuck the 70s. So you guys, this is where we meet Reverend Troy Perry. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's the guy who founded the MCC Church. He decides it, he's got to like rally the troops and get the, his people to New Orleans to help the survivors out and the community. Right. So he tells us that like this isn't the first fire associated with the church that he's running. Yeah, the gate. In, in six months, there were three fires. In January of the same year, an arsonist torched the MCC Mother Church in Los Angeles, nearing total destruction. Three months later, the MCC meeting place in Nashville, Tennessee, was set on fire. And while no one was injured during these attacks, no one was arrested either. And so now they're thinking, like, okay, so was someone, like, ramping up to this? Exactly. At, at the upstairs lounge? Right. Like, is it, are they connected? So this is where Troy Perry decides he's got to, like, get his people, get to, to New Orleans. And so uh, he gets there, and he talks about, like, when he walked in. Oh, God, this was so powerful to me. When he walked into, like, the congregation house that they that they had. Yeah. Everyone's in tears. Everyone is crying. And all of the gays assembled are like, is this God? It was Devastation. Devastation. Everybody crying, trying to come to terms. We preachers trying to reassure everybody. No, God does not hate us. This is not God who did this. Any more than God killed Jews in the Holocaust. This is mass murder. 
This is not God angry at us. Some human being did this, not God. And it's so heartbreaking because Troy says many times during this, like he always wants to say to the filmmakers who are making it or to the to the viewer, like if you only knew how hard it was in those times in the South. Right. And so for him to say repeatedly, like, this is not God. This is a human. This is mass murder. This is not you are fantastic as you are. God loves you. Whoever you believe in loves you. Mm -hmm. This is a human who's who's awful. Yes. So 32 people die in this fire. Right. 32 people die. The mayor, the governor, the archbishop mm-hmm. of the of the diocese have they are silent on the issue, and we get yeah. the backstory that like within the last six months there had been two tragic tragedies, but smaller. The number of people who died at the upstairs lounge was more than double the number of people who died in both of those other tragedies combined. And they were both other fires. Right. Which is like, it's like how many fires was that? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's real. I couldn't believe that every single tragedy involved yeah. in this documentary, they're all fires. But it's like, again, fuck the 70s. Like, you guys. How fuck did, the 70s. <laughs> how did you not know to, like, have fire extinguishers? Yeah, and they were all, like, you know... Uh, at, at the funerals, and they were making all these statements yep. about these other, again, they, super tragic things that are worthy of conversation yes. and worthy of statements and worthy of all of these, quote, powerful people talking about them. But what about our friends at Upstairs Lounge? Right. That's, that's the point. That's it, what they're saying. Right. All three men, the governor, the mayor, the archbishop, were completely silent. There was no day of mourning. There were no public statements. Um, They seem to have actively avoided the press. Um, It was as though those lives didn't count. So Reverend Troy Perry, he's sort of managing the whole thing, right? He's talking about how, like, they opened their small church and they had a small service for the people who died, but they were looking for a, a larger place to have a service. Just a, a side note, where they had this this small service was at this Episcopal church where they had gathered in the past before mm-hmm. they had their home space. And when it makes the papers that they had their, their small memorial service there, the Reverend Bill Richardson got in trouble from the Episcopal bishop for allowing the gay church to have their service there. May I? Yeah, please. Fuck the seventies. People died. I know. They're human. They're. Are you serious? I know. And so now they're on the hunt for like a bigger place to have like a proper memorial service. Right. And they are just getting no's left and right. Troy tells us all the different calls they made. They're calling the Catholic churches. They're calling the Baptist churches. They're yeah. calling everybody they can think of. They finally call the Lutherans. They contacted a Lutheran church, who said, "Well, we won't let you use our church." But you might try this, this, this church over here. It's it's in a it's in a black neighborhood. It has a black minister, and they're very tolerant of aliens there. They use the word aliens uh, as as though gays and lesbians come from outer space or something. <laughs> aliens. Also, what they're saying is like try the not white church down uh-huh. the street because we've been giving them shit for God knows how long. Right. So they might be a little sensitive to the fact that we hate you too. That's kind of what they're saying. It's unreal. And so in the interim, Troy is like, literally, fuck this. If we can't find a church, we're gonna do this shit on the street. Literally before- taking it to yeah, the street. We're gonna do this service on the street, which, by the way, is a tactic that was employed very effectively in the AIDS during the AIDS crisis. I know we covered a documentary. I know, if you guys watch How to Survive a Plague, you'll see it. It is crazy. I found out that there was the Vukure Commission, and they had the power to shut down a street if they needed to. And so I went to the Vukure Commission, and they said yes. They would shut down the street so we could hold a service in the street if I couldn't find a place. 
And I thought, spoilers, I thought they were going to, in my notes, I was like, they're fucking taking it to the street. I know, I know. And then I was like, delete, delete, delete. Oh, wait, no, they're not. <laughs> but I was excited that, because they had like this backup plan where it's like, we're going to just go in the middle of the street and I know. do this and make everybody pay goddamn attention. But they ended up going to this church, St. Mark's. St. Mark's Methodist Church. Can we get a hero bell for them? Hero. Oh, it, my God, for days. It's a black church, predominantly black church, who was, was just like, yes, of course. These are people, you're going to come and you're going to have the service at our fucking church. Right. I think that's exactly what they said. That's exactly what they said. Our fucking church. So it's a day of the service. Well, the day of the funeral, we gathered together, and uh, I had no idea whether there would be people there or not, and people started coming in. And I was never... Again, people who don't understand those time periods, how rough it was. I was never more proud to see all these GLBT people coming in for that service. We fill the balcony. We fill the church. And Troy, Reverend Troy, is telling us that the bishop of this Methodist congregation, or I, I'm not using the right words, I'm not a religious person, Yeah, yeah. but the bishop shows up. And to Troy, this is a super big fucking deal. Yeah. It meant everything that the bishop of the Methodist church had the guts to come to this service. I, I saw people there react Knowing uh, the gay folks who were there, that the Methodists, that their bishop was there, that he got, and he wasn't there to shut anything down. He was there to be respectful and to be a part of the congregation. I cannot express enough and come to the Pride Show. You'll hear all about it. Troy even says at one point, it was worse for our straight friends. For people to know that they were friends with gay people, they got persecuted worse than we did. So Uh. for this bishop of this church to say, yes, not only are we going to let you have the service in our church, I'm going to come. I'm going to legitimize this to this degree. Right. Was just just incredible. And he's saying like, also like the pastor or whoever is, is doing the service, like we're working together. Like we agree on this. Yeah. Like this is not a rogue pastor. Exactly. Like we like we are you are welcome here always. Yes. So they go through the whole service. It's this really beautiful moving thing and then all of a sudden at the end of the service they find out that there's like cameras across the street. Right. Because here's the thing like a lot of people who who went to the service were like I support you. Right. <laughs> but I kind of don't need like my mom to know or like my boss to know. Yeah, yeah. And like no shade for them. It was just th- that's how it was in Louisiana at this time. That's how it was everywhere at this time. You guys at Stonewall, like again, when the, the police would raid the bar, if you got arrested and they, they like got your name, you would lose your job. Right. You legally could illegal. get fired. Yeah, it was completely yeah. illegal. So so our friend Troy Perry was just like made a promise to everybody that if you come to this, there will be no cameras. You, you can feel safe here. Right. Word got out cameras show up. And he's like, I can't, I can only control what goes on in the church. I can't right. control what goes on outside of the church. And one of the, one of the reverends is like, listen, there's a, there's a back entrance that Mariah uses. Right. The side entrance. The side with, entrance. with the good lighting. Right. <laughs> For Mariah to be like, I don't know her gif as right. she walks out. If you want to use that one so yeah. that you can still show your support, but leave like if, if you feel unsafe yeah. to have eyes on you. But then he tells the story. Basically, it's me in the balcony being like, no! Yes, someone was like, no! And everyone was like, what? And with that, a woman up in the balcony started screaming, No! 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 We came in the front door. We're going to leave by the front door. It's an old Southern thing, but it was the truth. But I'll tell you, I watched literally people pick themselves up. People slumped over all at once to talk. Like, if I'm going to be on television, by God... I'm not going to go out hiding my face. Nobody 
nobody left by the side door. If we're going to be here, let's walk out together with our heads held high. And they literally walk out with their head held high. Yeah. Because Troy says, like, they weren't trying to hide their faces. Right. They were, like, five, six, seven, eight boys, here I am. Yeah, where it's like, if I'm going to be on camera, I really got to, <laughs> how do I look? Am I shiny? <laughs> but also, like, also just like, if we're going to be here, we, we're going to be here together. Yeah. And no one was going out the side door. No. It's too important. Yes, 100%. So then we learned that news, you guys, listen, this is so enraging what I'm about, what I'm about to tell you but it was kind of common mm-hmm. so news about the fire goes the 70s equivalent of viral fuck the 70s fuck the 70s and remember that guy that I told you about earlier Bill Larson he yes. was the minister of this of the pastor of this church mm-hmm. his mother finds out Bill Larson was identified as being a homosexual pastor of a homosexual church his mother was so horrified and shamed by the news coverage that she refused to claim his body and take it home for burial. Um, Ultimately, she released it to the Metropolitan Community Church. There was not much left of his body, so what was left of his body was cremated, and the ashes were in an urn, which they took back to their church. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I can't. I, the she's mother gets all the... Fu- no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That is your child. You guys, this... W- he didn't do anything no. wrong. It's not like Ted Bundy's mom was like, I don't want him. It wasn't like that. Like, this is a human being who did nothing wrong. During the AIDS crisis, this happened all the Ugh. time. There are so many stories of gay men dying in hospitals. Nobody claims their body. They are put in trash bags and thrown in the dumpster. Thrown in the dumpster. No. Happy Pride, everybody. No. Also, fuck everyone who ever did that. Yeah. And the 70s. But we... <laughs> But we also learn, you guys, this is the thing that I've known for a long time, and it, it boggles my mind whenever I think about mm-hmm. it. There were three bodies of victims that were never identified. This is crazy. There was a fourth victim, identified as Ferris LeBlanc, but his body was never claimed. According to local laws, unclaimed bodies must be buried under the category of indigence. And since Ferris LeBlanc was never claimed, and three other people were never identified therefore couldn't be claimed, all four were buried in the New Orleans Pauper Cemetery. The MCC offered to pay for dignified burials for the men, but seeing that the church had no legal ties to the victims, the city refused to release the bodies. I think about this in terms of like, you know, these are kids that were either thrown out of their houses or left or whatever. They like severed ties with their family. But I just keep thinking that like for the rest of the 70s and the 80s, everyone's like, whatever happened to Byron? Like, I guess he just ran off to wherever and like he doesn't feel like oh, calling us. God. Yeah. Like that, that's that's what this is. Like these people have families that just don't know whatever happened to them. That That is the stuff that like stays in my brain. That's going to keep me up at night. I know. That's good. Like I will be walking down the street on at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Yeah. And that's going to creep into my head and make me want to sob. This was the other thing. We find out that basically anybody's body who is unclaimed, they get buried in a pauper's grave. A pauper's grave was like a mass grave. Yeah, it's just like a, a lot. It's like an empty lot with a gate and like and it's so, not open to the public. No, like MCC, the church tries to pay their expenses, but just legally they, they are not allowed to. See, I don't, if I'm wrong, I, yeah. and I did not give this a goog, but I feel like what is the harm if someone wants to give one person or several people a proper burial. Of course. Like, in what universe does a city say, you know what? No. <laughs> pass on that. Like, if someone, like, what does it matter what the legal thing is? I if know. someone wants to do something nice, like, can't you just put, I, I just don't, I didn't understand And that. they show us that in, like, 
2015 when this was made. They they go to where the pauper's grave it's is. Horrible. It's a just you guys. You, there's nothing. There's no grave markers. No, you would never know. It's just a lot, and it's not open to the public, so it's chained up. When we go to New Orleans, I want to find it. I want to go there, and I want to take flowers and like throw it over. Totally. The fence. Let's go. Let's yeah. absolutely go. So okay, here we go, you guys. For a long time, the the police were saying there was no evidence that it was arson. Somehow that changes. We don't really know how. All of a sudden, we're finding out that the police are investigating this as an arson. The investigation revealed that the fire started on or near the second and third step of the stairwell leading up to the main entrance of the lounge. While examining the stairwell, Major Henry Morris recovered an empty can of lighter fluid at the base of the stairs. First, they have their favorite arson suspect. They're sure it's him. They find out this guy was in California. Couldn't have been him. And then all these false confessions. Everyone's like, hey, girl, I did it. <laughs> I and then they didn't. For everyone who doesn't believe in false confessions, it happens. It's so See? weird. And then they get like a, an anonymous letter literally being like, hey, chief, so sorry about the fire. The mass so murder. sorry. Yeah. So- <laughs> But now we focus on who they're referring to as a hustler mm-hmm. who had been, quote, causing trouble at the bar earlier that night. His name is Roger Dale Nunez. They say he's 26. He looks 46 on a good day. <laughs> in his oh, mugshot. In it's the mugshot. I, I, I'm just saying. He doesn't look 26. So apparently this guy was bothering people at the bar all night long. Like, just like... We've all been there. If you've ever been in a bar or yeah. in a public place, there's always that guy who's always trying to get your attention. Apparently, that was Roger Dale Nunez. And you know who wasn't having his shit? Who? A queen named Michael Scarborough. Oh. <laughs> Michael Scarborough, an upstairs lounge regular, grew weary of his obnoxious behavior. A confrontation soon followed. When Nunez approached his table and began harassing Scarborough, Michael jumped up from his chair, punched Nunez in the face, knocking him to the floor. According to Scarborough's statement to investigators, Roger then looked up from the floor and said, I'm going to burn you all out. After witnessing the altercation, Buddy Rasmussen instructed his bartender to kick Roger out of the bar. This queen gets up and clocks him in the face. Right. Like, girl, bye. I don't know you, Gif. Like, I know. get out of here. So Nunez, like, tumbles to the ground and then apparently, like, looks up at this guy, Michael, and says, I'm going to burn you all? I'm going to burn you all out? Oh, my God. Which is kind of like, do we know for sure that that happened? I don't, I don't we know. We don't know. If- we have a lot more compelling evidence to get we, to. We uh, one zillion percent do. So let's start with the, you want to start with the self-hatred? Yeah. Or the fact that he was kicked out of the gay bar and. Yeah. So they throw him out and we get this, like, sort of lecture about internalized homophobia which they say in the 70s was called sexual orientation disorder what was that fuck the 70s there it is (laughs) someone who just was uncomfortable with or or um horrified by the fact that that he was gay Basically, this guy hated himself for being gay. And and this 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 writer who wrote the book that this documentary is based on uh-huh. is saying, like, imagine you're a kid from a small town in Alabama or wherever, and all your life you're told you're wrong, you're bad, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and you show up in New Orleans and... You know, maybe you're not the best at making friends. Sure. But, like, you go to a gay bar and, like, you're sort of around your people for the first time. And possibly for the first time in your life feeling really comfortable or getting to the point where you think you could maybe feel comfortable being accepted by the queers and the freaks. And then they throw you out. Um, it's, It's really easy to imagine him trying to strike back at people. 
And now everything that everyone's ever told you about how awful these people are is now true to you. Right. And so we find out that, like, he set the fire or he didn't. We think he did. But he, in the months after the fire, marries this woman uh, named Elaine. Elaine. Even his marriage to her indicates internalized homophobia. First of all, uh, it still happens today that that a lot of gay men try to cure themselves by entering into a, a heterosexual marriage. She was questioned by fire marshal investigators, at which point she told them that their marriage had never been consummated and that he admitted to her after they had gotten married that he was homosexual. And then the thing is, like, he, he was questioned by not the police, but by the fire department. Uh-huh. And he was, like, having seizures during the questioning. He yeah. was under a lot of stress. And then there's, like, someone from, like, the, the Dwayne Reed, like, the equivalent <laughs> of the, the Walgreens or whatever on the corner. I think it's legitimately a Walgreens. I think it's actually a Walgreens. <laughs> the fire was started by a can of Ronsonol lighter fluid. Um, it was apparently purchased at a Walgreens drugstore a block away from the upstairs lounge. At the time... Ronsonol was sold in three sizes, a four and a half ounce can, a seven ounce can, and a 12 ounce can. And the clerk at the tobacco counter reported this this young man who she described, physically it was a match, and she described him looking very nervous and distraught. And he was looking for the four and a half ounce can and um, there weren't any on the shelves and she said they were out of stock. So she sold this young man a seven ounce can of lighter fluid instead. He's like, so uh, what aisle is the lighter fluid in? And she's like, and then one of our friends, one of our our people to camera is saying like, here's the thing. Like he didn't buy the biggest. He tried to buy the smallest, but because they were out of the smallest, he just got the next bigger size. And not the biggest one. So the idea is that he would get hammered and like confess to his friends and be like, I felt really isolated and I never wanted to hurt anybody. I just wanted to scare them. If you were intending to start a fire and hurt people, you wouldn't be looking for the smallest size can of lighter fluid. And when Miss Fury told the writer Johnny Townsend that Roger had confessed to her that he had set the fire, she said that he was weeping and said over and over that he didn't mean to do it, he just wanted to scare people. Um, And that's consistent with a man looking for the smallest size can of lighter fluid. So the idea is that like he maybe it was just a really, really horrible prank or some kind of thing gone terribly wrong because there were no fire codes. Because he didn't what he couldn't have known was that if he like put some accelerant down in this stairwell and kept banging buzzing the buzzer. Right, exactly. With like the with the carpet. He didn't think. And the wood paneling and all of that that like he had no idea that that would cause a fire that would kill thirty two people. Also, if you want to scare people, don't set anything on fire. Yeah. Just as like a safety precaution. Right. Like we're go- even in the seventies. Right. Like, like, can it just, like, maybe startle them? Like, show up behind them? <laughs> Please don't do it with arson. And then also, we find out that he had a brain tumor. Yeah, there was a lot happening here with this This guy person. was kind of a mess. And so, you know, less than a year after the fire, he kills himself. Right. And so people are like, was it the guilt of, like, setting this fire that killed all these people? Was yes. it the fear of having a brain tumor? Yes. Was I it think it was all, all of the above. Was it, like, the being married to a woman, but you're actually gay? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it was all, honestly, <laughs> I think it was all of it. And, I, and I'm not saying that in a shade way. Like, I think, yeah. what a horrible life to live. Yeah, I I. I agree. Truly, but also don't kill thirty-three use... people in a bar fire. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> took the words and finished each other. See, I just took the words out of my goddamn beautiful mouth. Yeah. Are we done? No. 
Well, yes, we we are. Yeah. In the, they waited way too long to introduce this guy who's like this historian in New Orleans who yes. was fabulous. But he has this whole thing where he's saying that like nothing good enough comes out of a thing that justifies 33 people being no. murdered. But, you know, it took this tragedy for New Orleans to reckon with the fact that they had a gay community. The upstairs lounge fire forced New Orleans to acknowledge, yes, we do have a gay community here. It's something everybody knew but something nobody ever talked about. Two months after the fire, or three months in September of 1973, the arch-conservative Times-Picayune ran a week-long series of articles that focused on the gay community. And the very first one uh, had a headline that read, gay, gay community surfaces in fire tragedy or something to that effect. So there were in-depth articles about what does it mean to be gay? And what does it mean to be gay in New Orleans? And I don't think that would have happened had it not been for the upstairs lounge fire. And so they're saying, like, you know, every year on the anniversary, it's commemorated. Some years are bigger, some years are smaller. And then on the 40th anniversary was the year they put down a plaque that, you know, had everybody's name and, and said what happened. And the plaque sort of credits the, the fire and the murders with being sort of the kickoff to the gay rights movement in New Orleans. And there's some debate about whether or not that's true or whether it was Anita Bryant coming to town four years later and the gays, like, really rallying to make sure that didn't happen. If you don't know who Anita Bryant is, give her a goog. She's a, a monster. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, it kind of ends on either forgiveness or something horrible. Right. So... <laughs> da -da 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 -da. <laughs> When we're in New Orleans, we've got a lot to do, but we've got to go to the Popper's grave and throw flowers over, and we got to go have a drink at the bar where so the Upstairs Lounge was. Yes. Totally. Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. I've always wanted to see this place. Yeah, totally. Let's go. You guys, come to our Pride Show, June 29th, New York City. I'm doing tours all over the village that morning. For everybody who has a ticket who wants to come, I'm going to show you all the cool gay places, all the cool places from your favorite movies. We're going to kick it together in the village, and we're going to like get some quality time before the show. Oh, my God. Save your voice, sweetheart. I will. I need you. We've hired our three drag queens. Uh, pay attention to the social media. I'm going to start showing you the drag queens we hired. They're oh fabulous. My God, fantastic. Our, our comic coming in from LA to open for us. It's a 600 seat theater. Come meet your fellow TCO fam. Make new friends. Keep the old. One is silver, <laughs> one is gold. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, get on the Patreon. We are finishing up Lorena. Listen, if you want to hear us rage, scream, and laugh, I think that Lorena is some of our funniest, best work. Mm -hmm. Three words, Air Force A mate. Four words, <laughs> Air Force A mate. Yeah, somehow we ended up in a Bunny Ranch in episode four. You guys just Look, get there. Somehow, John Wayne Bobbitt brought us there. <laughs> you also get our episode-by-episode -episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, all of our bonus episodes, all of our extended outtakes. And then for the $10 level, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah, and then for 20 bucks, you get like special, I don't know nice little treats from us every you do month. it's actually really fun to nail it's those super out fun, yeah. <laughs> um you guys next week we're doing oklahoma city <sighs> i know it's a it's rough but i i actually haven't seen it yet. i haven't either but i'm really looking forward to it everybody loves it girl uh where can they find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. Gorgeous website. She's fantastic. You guys check out the website. It really is amazing. Every Everything you could possibly need. The promo codes. Yep. The merch. Oh, I don't know. Episodes. Our, CS Live. CS Live. Tons of stuff. We are at True Crime Obsessed Podcast on the Instagram. At True Crime Obsessed. No ED. <laughs> Throwback on the Twitter. On the Twits. You guys, our palate cleanser tonight is going to be from The View Upstairs. It's a musical about this. Go check it out. Max Vernon is a genius. Stay tuned for the preview for Oklahoma City. Then our outtakes. Then our palate cleanser. <gasps> we love you guys. Yeah, a lot going on still. You guys have a, like a whole 10 minutes ahead of you. <laughs> Loving you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. The bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on defenseless citizens. You know, I could hear yelling, screaming. 
He said, you can't go up there, it's too dangerous. But I just kept saying, our baby's right now. And I thought, who has come in here and done this terrible thing? We had all kinds of experts looking for clues. Because at the very first, they had no idea who did it. Then we started getting calls about Middle Easterners, started looking for Middle Easterners. But then someone I spoke to said, do you know what day it is? And immediately it hit me. This is about Waco. Members of the community out there have heard automatic weapons fire and explosions coming from the compound. You went back on your word. That is a lie. When I saw the fire, all I could think about were the children in there. Nine adults came out. Not one of them brought a child out. You're next! Wake up and understand! You're next! They were really imagining this fortress. It's the new thing in America. It's called the militia. No constable's gonna come and break their door down. They'll shoot them first. FBI agents surround the cabin. All we know at that point, there was a shootout. When it was all said and done, Sammy and Vicki Weaver were dead. Baby killed! Baby killed! The events at Ruby Ridge lit up the radical right. You call yourself an American? These are Americans! You're a disgrace to the white race! And they decided that they would basically declare war on the U.S. There'll be a lot of blood running one day. It was just a lightning moment of recognition. This was the guy in the sketch. Last night, Timothy McVeigh was charged in the bombing of the Murrow Federal Building here in Oklahoma City. I think everybody felt a sudden sense of betrayal. I think everyone thought, you're one of us. If you continue with shit like Ruby Ridge and Waco, this is what's going to happen. Timothy McVeigh, he was the creation of the white supremacist movement. There was a strong connection. All these events, they were all connected. They just had their beer bust. Everybody's hammered. Can you imagine? Yeah. Me and you and like pieces on a Sunday night, all of a sudden the place is like in fi- on fire. Screaming. And I'd be like, but the point is, I know. Is that I love you. And you'd be like, bitch, get out. You'd be But that's what's them happening. Hat. Totally. I keep wanting to say the Uptown Lounge because that's where the Indigo Girls used to play in the early days. Okay, we get it. You're gay. <laughs> You're confusing the Upstairs Lounge with where the, get- the Indigo Girls played. Like, we get it. It turns into suddenly a Ken Burns documentary yes. with the most. A hundred percent narration. Like the first guy that came in in the voiceover yeah. audition for Ken Ke- Burns is like, get her out of yeah. here. <laughs> he decided he was either going to open a gay bar or a gift shop. and Which I just the same thing, really. I, you beat me to it. I was like, they're both equally as gay. <laughs> One has a little more alcohol than the other. It's a gift shop. <laughs> just open a gay bar called the gift shop. <laughs> We're doing that tomorrow. Yeah. Get Steve on the phone. <laughs> Business manager. That's where how, that's how I grew up. You know the things. I mean, it's weird that you haven't met my mom, but I'm like, you know, know my mom. I know, I know, She's I know. She's surrounded by gays who are just like, let's go antiquing. <laughs> and, sing, and also sing around the piano. What's the problem? It's funny that I'm an actual gay, and I still don't think I can promise my own daughter a childhood as gay as yours was. <laughs> I'll make it happen for her. Thank I'll you. do what I can. I really that's appreciate that. It's kind of why we've met. In the summertime heat, down on Iberville Street, sex 
and incense mixed in the air. Met a man who shook my bones with one penetrating stare. Is it no reason to fear? Boy, your mama ain't here. Come home with me instead. And it was heaven on alone. I walk out in a stranger's bed and I said, I think I found some kind of paradise. No angel wings, no fairy dust, just the rush of lust. But it's alright. And though this place is far from heavenly, no golden throne, the ecstasy's just temporary. But it's alright. See you.